You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Now, in order to follow God's call on his life, Abraham had to live as a foreigner in the land of Canaan. And so did his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. And then his great-grandchildren went down to Egypt, and there again they lived as foreigners and strangers. The New Testament writer of Hebrews picks up on this theme, and in Hebrews 11, he writes the following. He says, By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place that he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he didn't know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Now throughout the Old Testament, the people of God were called to remember their identity as foreigners and strangers. In Exodus 23, 9, Moses reminds the people, he says, you know what it's like to be a stranger. You were strangers in Egypt. And following this frequent reminder, the Israelites would then be told that they were responsible to care and provide for the foreigners amongst them because they too were foreigners. In the New Testament, Followers of Jesus are also identified as foreigners. Peter in 1 Peter 1.17 says this. He says, live out your time as foreigners here on earth in reverent fear. Paul also reminds us of this in Philippians 3.20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. As part of God's people today, our identity follows in the footsteps of Abraham and the people of God before us. For now, in this world, we are strangers and foreigners. Our true home is with God, and we are waiting for Jesus to return and establish his kingdom. Now, Canada is a pretty easy place to live. It's easy to forget that we are foreigners here. We have so much freedom to think what we want to think, to say what we want to say. For many of us, our core needs are met for food and shelter and relationship. And it's easy to forget this core identity. This forgetfulness of who we are is detrimental to our life with God and the mission God calls us to. And it's important to regularly bring to mind that as people uh, with citizenship in heaven, all that we have here on this earth, our home, our food, our possessions are provided for us by a hospitable God. And practices of gratefulness help remind us of this. As we contemplate God's good gifts to us, it changes how we see things. And this is critical for being on mission. Then all that we do for others becomes a response to God's hospitality towards us. So instead of mission being something we have to do, it flows out of worship and love and gratitude to a God who has welcomed and cared for us. So as we more deeply contemplate this truth that we are strangers who have been well-loved by our good God, we can have a different eye, a different compassion for the foreigner, the displaced, and the dispossessed. 
And so when we engage in hospitality, we become imitators of God and we actually participate in God's hospitable life. As we show hospitality to strangers, it's not just because they need it, but because we need it too. Because it reminds us of who we are as strangers and foreigners. So partnered with God's transforming power, this image of hospitality can help us expand our hearts as we open our home and lives to others. And as we are transformed, we move from fear of the stranger to trust in God. We move from ill will, what are they doing here, to welcome. And we move from, I'll do a little bit for you, to a willingness to be transformed by another person. So according to the UN Human Rights, uh, Human um, HCR for Refugees, there are 110 million people who have been forcibly displaced from their homes worldwide. That's 40 million more than five years ago. And there are more displaced people in the world at the, right now than any time in history. And these are the world's most vulnerable people. What a time it is for us to be a people with a passion for hospitality. It's so critical right now. And God has given us this privilege at CA to use our resources, our time, our finances, our spiritual gifts, our relational gifts, to be part of transforming relationships, both globally and locally. Globally, we're working with dispossessed people, with persecuted believers who are suffering greatly for their faith, with vulnerable children. And locally, right here in Coquitlam, we're working with newcomers and refugees. So this morning, we're going to share some stories about how we as a church together are engaging in hospitality and caring for those in profound need. And as you listen, I want to invite you to continue to open your heart. How might, be, how might God be calling you to expand your life and to make space for the stranger? So as I begin, I first want to thank you. You're such a generous church, and you pray, and you give, and many of you serve locally, and some of you have even gone globally. And together, we've been able to make some significant impacts on the lives of many. And over the years, through relational connections, we've formed five global partnerships. We have a global partner in Africa, we have two in the Middle East, one in Mexico, and two in the Philippines. We've also um, developed many partnerships here in Coquitlam. So I'm going to start with a few global stories, and then we'll move local. So in Mexico, we work with Pastor Tomas. He is a local pastor in Juarez and president of our denomination in Mexico. And God has called him to share the good news with particularly indigenous people in Mexico. Now, the first story I'm going to tell you about is one such person. His name's Julio. He's part of the Tarmaharan people who were displaced from their land by the Spanish, and they fled into the mountains, and they've lived there for centuries in this inhospitable place. And in the last 30 years, their struggle to survive, their lack of food, their suffering has come to the attention of Pastor Tomas. And so he has begun to go into the mountains to make friends and to share the good news. So Julio is one of the men he met. Julio is now married to Maria, who grew up in the school we support in Guacaibo in the Copper Canyon in Chihuahua, Mexico. Julio started working at the boarding school as a translator because he wanted to learn about, more about God. 
He began to serve in some local churches, and now he's gone on to plant a church in his hometown of Wawachike. And we went to Wawachike in October, and we were able to host a fiesta for his church and the people of his village. So he's going to share a story with you. But as he tells it, he's kind of muted in telling his story. But he began this church by weekly carrying a pack of food, 30 to 50 pounds on his back, three to five hours over treacherous mountain roads in order to bring this hospitality to his town of Wawachike where there was food insecurity. And initially the village was very close to Christianity and to churches. He experienced a lot of hostility, but this small act of hospitality opened the food, opened the door a little bit. So let's listen to Julio's story. Hello, I'm Pastor Julio Garcia and I'm the pastor of Wawachike Church. I met Jesus many years ago when a Mennonite pastor arrived to the canyon and started speaking about why I was here. After hearing about Jesus, a big desire started in my heart to know more about the Word of God. So I came looking for Pastor Thomas so he could teach me. When I arrived in Wakaibo, I started helping in the boarding school with the children and Pastor David translating for him. I also traveled to other communities, evangelizing and sharing the word of God to the most needy. I felt led to go to the other communities when I saw they were living in poverty, both physical and spiritual. I saw a great need. I started taking food as a strategy to talk to them. I didn't have plans to work in Wawachike. My plans were to go to another community called Guawe. But the people in Wawachike started calling us to come to the big village and share the word of God. We then decided that on Sundays the people from Huawei would join us for church in Huawachique. When we started having services in Huawachique, we would meet together under a tree next to my house. One day, one of the brothers in the congregation told me it was time to build a house for the Lord. We didn't have finances, but we wanted to have a place where we could gather together. I asked Pastor Thomas for help, and he did. But now we have encountered a second problem. The church has multiplied, and many people are standing outside because there's no more room inside. It's time to start a second building. I give thanks to God for what He's doing in our church. Our church is growing. There were once many people in this community doing drugs, but I trusted God could do something in their lives that God really loved them, and nothing was impossible for him. Now, two of the men in the village that were always in the drugs and drinking are serving on the worship team. Thank you for everything you do for us. I'm so happy to report that the community of Guaguachique is opening its door to Christianity. Now, they are asking us to host here the celebration we do every year in Ceboín. That's a miracle because they didn't like Christians. And this year, during the celebration in Guaguachique, the leader of the village asked us to continue to help with the people of the community. I want to thank the church in Canada for the food baskets you provide, for the celebrations, for the fiestas, 
for the gifts you gave the people yesterday. They were very happy to receive all of the things you gave. We can join with what God is doing in Guaguachique. I ask Canada that you will pray for my family and marriage, and most importantly, that the people here will come to know Jesus. It was wonderful to meet Julio, to go to his village, and to see the openness to Jesus that there is now. So please be in prayer for Julio and also his dream to build a bigger church, which is pretty amazing. And so we had helped them build that first space, which now is filled up by just the kids who are coming. Another story I want to share from Mexico is about a town called Hamatsi in the state of Jalisco where the Huichol tribe resides. And we've been working there for several years. And the Christians in this area face severe persecution. And even though there are a significant number of individuals who've been impacted by Jesus, who found freedom, there's still so much persecution that if they're discovered in prayer meetings, they could be imprisoned or expelled from their villages. So our, our Weechel partners, Pastor Porfirio and Lorena, for many years have been ministering to people in secret. But a while back, they discerned the need for a kids' ministry, and so they prayerfully began inviting kids on Saturday mornings for a warm breakfast, for fun games and crafts, and the good news of Jesus was quietly shared at these gatherings. And over time, these gatherings started to draw not just the kids, but also their parents. This unexpected growth in people connecting presented a new opportunity. And so a few years back, we played a pivotal role in buying a truck for Porfirio. And soon his truck was transformed into an ambulance to transport people to the nearest hospital a couple hours away. And he, because he's one of the few people with personal transportation, this is an opportunity as he drives people to demonstrate the love and kindness of Jesus to people in his village. And additionally, as CA has given them financial gifts, they've been able to, to buy food. And they are providing weekly food hampers for the Hamatsi community. And so as Profirio and the church are able to support people who don't have adequate food, again, it's another way to show Jesus' love. So through this ambulance and through food, the town has responded uh, to the news of Jesus. And, and now they're actually offering a piece of land to the church where they can build their own church. And this is a huge transformation from a place where Christians used to have to hide um, their faith. So we're so grateful to have this opportunity to collaborate with these local pastors in fostering welcome in community. Also, one of the other projects we're involved in in this place is building a house of refuge to provide sanctuary for other Christians who fled from other villages. And so we had a Christmas Eve offering a few years back um, to, to pay for a house of refuge. And this is in process. You can see that in, the, in that one picture there. It's been very difficult to build this house of refuge because there's been a lot of um, roadblocks from the town. They made them first build a fence around it, and they had to go to the river and pull up rocks one by one to build this fence before they were allowed to start building on the land. But as the community opens to Jesus and this, there's less resistance, uh, we can hope that this building will soon be completed. So please, please pray for that. This isn't the only place in the world where we're involved in supporting the persecuted church. We're also involved in a partnership through the House of Omid, which is in Port Moody, 
in helping construct a safe house in the Middle East and supporting this safe house to run. And this safe house is for Muslim background believers who come out of a very hostile country. Pastor David and I and a team were able to visit this place this summer and contribute to some of the work there. So I'm going to ask David to come up and just share for a few minutes what his experience was like. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, as Marty was saying, uh, last uh, June we had uh, a chance to go to the Middle East, and, and it was like two things were involved. Uh, one, they were building a safe house, and that was for the underground church. Um, and so we had a team that was really good at building things. And interestingly, they didn't invite me to be part of that team, <laughs> though I do own a hammer, um, <laughs> and I can do things like like vacuum and things like that. But I wasn't on that team. I was on the teaching team. So Marty and I were on the teaching team. And so we were there for two weeks. And we had a chance to do some uh, teaching to different groups uh, over the two weeks. And it was a really interesting experience. And I was thinking um, about the experience. I thought there's probably three takeaways from, from, uh, from those two weeks. Um, the, the first takeaway is a, is a hunger that we saw among the people. Um, that, that we were teaching because uh, every day in the afternoon we, had, we gave an opportunity for people to ask any question that they wanted to ask. And so we had about an hour and a half to just say, hey, you know, are there some theological questions that you have? And some of the questions that we got were really, really hard. And, it, and, and what, what stood out is one, these guys are thinking very deeply about the life, their life in Jesus. But the other thing is that these are not just academic questions. It was, they all had practical purposes. And I was, lis- I was listening to them, and I thought, man, I wish I had that kind of hunger for God's word. And so I was blown away just by this deep, deep desire to grow in their faith. And that challenged me in my faith that, you know, do I hunger in that same way? The second thing was story. The second takeaway was story, because uh, we had opportunity to hear people's stories. And I don't know if... Um, if you're familiar with this, but I mean, there's some cultures, they love telling stories. And I discovered, we discovered that, that uh, if you ask somebody their story, uh, get ready for a long story. <laughs> like at least an hour, an hour and a half. So we'd ask some people, say, tell us your testimony. And, and after about an hour, he's like, and then I turned seven. I'm like, oh, okay, so we t- <laughs> you're 64 years old. We got a little ways to go here. But, but they were beautiful stories beautifully crafted stories and what they're doing and the people that we spoke to is that they were reflecting on how the details of their lives intersected with God's sovereignty and Jesus revealing themselves, uh, revealing himself to them. And uh, one of the things I had heard about going into the Middle East is that so many people have come to faith through dreams and visions. And so I'd ask people, I said, you know, tell me, I said, was there a dream? Was there a vi- And invariably, there was. And they were all different. And I remember one guy, I was talking to him, and he said, yeah, it was so strange. He goes, um, I was just thinking about Jesus, and, and one night I had this dream. And in this dream, someone came up to me, and they spoke to me about who Jesus is. And I learned about who Jesus was from the dream. He goes, the next day, the next day, he goes, I was doing what I was, you know, he's just at work or whatever, and he got a phone call. And he answered the phone, and it was the same voice on the phone of the person who spoke to him in the dream. And the person was from a, from a local church inviting him 
to, uh, to, to learn more about Jesus. And so he heard these stories, and they're all different. And they were powerful, powerful stories. And, um, and yeah, and that, that really spoke to me. And the, the third takeaway is just resilience. Um, many of the stories that we heard are people telling um, tales of persecution. And uh, there's guys saying, you know, my cousin... You know, he was arrested for his faith. He was tortured, and he was killed last year. And then this person, yeah, they're in prison right now. They're not, we're not sure if they're going to get it. And then I'm listening to this. I'm like, because, you know, you, you hear these stories, right? You hear the stories of the persecuted church. But here I am talking to guys, and they're like, yeah, no, I was in prison for this long, and then I got it. And, and it's just, it, it's, it's a real thing. And yet, despite the risks, and really real risks to their life, they press on to follow Jesus. And it's incredible. And boy, did that ever challenge me. I mean, I get all twitchy if somebody gives a mean comment on Facebook and I'm like, ah, you know, like I'm all persecuted. No. Um, you know, and I, 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 and I was listening to them. I'm like, oh, that's the kind of faith that I desire to have. And so it was a really good experience. Um, I came away with more than probably the, what, what they got. But one of the things that is needed there, though, is theological teaching and, and biblical training. Because even though the church is very vibrant, there's not, um, it needs to go deeper, right? And so I think it's a great exchange. We can bring those kind of resources. But in exchange, we just get a picture of a vibrant, perseverant faith that will just really stir our hearts. And it, it did a real number on my heart. And so I was very thankful to go. So thanks, Brian. Thanks, David. And it was an amazing experience. One of the believers we met there is now in prison in Iran. And so if you can be praying for his release, that would be amazing. We've been involved in global missions for decades. And in the last five or six years, things have been changing in Coquitlam. And there are many more opportunities for us in Coquitlam to be involved in caring for newcomers and refugees. And so I want to invite Sonia up. She has some pretty amazing stories to share. Buenos dias. How many of you tried the Spanish lyric this morning? Anyone? Okay, well, we got some songs coming up, so if you feel inclined to try, feel free. But I love that we serve a God of all nations, and uh, he is working in and through all of us, and we were able to highlight some Spanish and Farsi this morning, but I know that there's other languages represented here, and we get to continue to lean in and discover all that God has for us through his hospitality. Well, this morning, I want to share with you, uh, start off with the story of two young professionals two men in the height of their careers in the Middle East. One of them was working as one of the top doctors in the region as an emergency physician in one of the local hospitals in his country. The other was working for a large media company as a journalist where he worked hard to communicate the stories that are often not able to be heard. Both of these men have young, growing families. One of them was so excited that he and his wife had just welcomed his second child just months before everything changed. In a matter of hours, both of these men were made aware that their lives were in danger. 
living in a country where persecution and civil unrest is only increasing, these men knew too well the risk of staying would be death for them and for their families. With no time to consider options, pack any bags, or say any goodbyes, these men were forced to flee their country with just what they were wearing. With no insight as to where they'd go or how long this would last, these men took the risk of fleeing so that their families could have the opportunity to be spared from death. And through a series of events and long journeys in trying to find a place that would welcome them in with safety, both of these men found themselves in South America on a long and treacherous path that was the only option they knew at the time that could help bring them to a place of refuge and safety. As they continued their journey, they were introduced to this area well known by many in similar situations as the Darien Gap. Now, if you've never heard of the Darien Gap, you'll see it here in the map, and it's located between Colombia and Panama in South America. It's the invisible border between both countries, and this is why many are forced to use this, as they're not able to travel just through any country they would like. It's an area of mountainous rainforest with no roads or developed pathways to travel. The only way to be able to attempt to travel through this area is on foot. It also has held a reputation for centuries that it is virtually uncrossable due to the extreme travel conditions and no limited resources um, in this jungle area. And yet, for many, this is the only way to travel in search of safety. Apart from those fleeing within South America, people come from as far away as the Congo, Bangladesh, Uzbekistan, China, and many other countries far away. World Vision actually reported that in August, Panama's Immigration Service Director said that between 2,600 and 2,800 migrants per day are attempting this crossing. So today, 2,600 to 2,800 people are attempting to cross this region. And it's estimated that if this pace continues, as many as 400,000 people may cross the Darien Gap by the end of this year. All of them in search of safety. All of them forced to leave their home country. And... Many that attempt this treacherous uh, area range in ages, from newborn all the way to seniors, and heartbreakingly enough, many don't survive. And the ones that do survive often regret it due to the levels of trauma they now deal with and what they saw, what they experienced, and lived through. And again, many are forced to choose this as their only chance to try for safety. And this was the journey for both of these men that we were talking about earlier. They embarked this this year, and it was treacherous, and they are some of the ones that were able to make it through. Their memories and bodies bearing the marks of this journey as they struggled to find a place that would welcome them to find safety. Losing everything back home and enduring an extremely difficult journey, both of these men arrived to Canada this summer. Coquitlam, to be exact. 
through local partnerships, we have begun this year through the dressing room. Both of these men were able to come through our facility here at CA and receive clothing, as remember, they only had what they were wearing. It's through the work of hospitality that God invites us into that we get to serve through areas like the dressing room and we're able to be trusted with people sharing parts of their story and their journey where they no longer have to feel like strangers. But they could be introduced to a space of hospitality, a space full of God's welcome. Now, if you're new to our church community, the dressing room launched this past spring right here in our facility, and we're so thankful for the work of Janess Murray. You can meet her actually out back um, after the service at the card station, along with several other volunteers that have helped set a framework for a space where people in need can have access to something practically like clothing. To give you a pic quick picture of what it's like, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite you after the service to go see it yourself. If you haven't been able to do that, there'll be details coming, but you can go and see what people, um, how, how it looks, what does it um, do, all the clothing options you get to do. And one of the things that I love about the setup is we don't just hand people a bag of clothes and hope that something fits, but they actually get to come through and select clothing that they would want to wear. You have to remember that we're dealing with people from all different cultures and what may be culturally appropriate for us may not be for the person next to us. And this is a way for us to share that there, there is space for them here too. And so that is such a gift that we're able to do that. Now, we are able to partner, and we've begun some partnerships, and this will continue to grow, but we've been able to partner with some people locally that are also helping those in need, and through these partnerships, we've been able to meet people like these men. And so I'm just going to highlight a few of the partnerships. Um, we've partnered with Journey Home Community that does refugee settlement work. We've partnered with 10th Church, School District Number 43, Talitha Coombe, Union Gospel Mission, and also Global Partnerships. We're able to send clothes with the teams that go from here all across the globe and also help meet this very practical need. And so because of these partnerships and the generosity of you as a church in your time serving and giving, we are able to meet many men like these and families with love, care, and true hospitality. I was able to personally sit with both of these men after, after their time at the dressing room, and, and they shared with me that they were of Muslim faith. And they wanted to know why we as a church did things like this for people that we didn't know. I was able to share that it was because of God and his love for us that welcomed us all in. We have all been made welcome by God, that we could partner with him in welcoming strangers so they too could know God's love and welcome. Can you imagine in this deeply vulnerable time what that meant for them? To hear words and see it in practical action that they were loved, that they are seen, that they are valuable, and that they're invited to know that there is space here for them to find refuge and safety. As one of them with tears in his eyes shared parts of his stories, he showed me some nice dress shirts he had picked out from the dressing room. And I totally asked him, like, come on, let's do a fashion show. Show me it, because it's exciting. He's, he was so excited about him. And, you know, he said with tears in his eyes, I just didn't think that I would ever get to wear clothes like these again. You see, this man back home would dress in suits and dress shirts and dress pants for his career, and he thought maybe that had all been lost and they shared that what they had experienced that day reminded them that maybe they could hope again, 
as they navigated the difficult journey of rebuilding a life here in Canada with hopes that maybe one day they could be reunited with their families again, that little baby that had just been born, and maybe, just maybe, life could be good again. I received an email from one of them a couple days after, and they were able to share that they're gonna choose to hang in there, and that this church offered them new strength to do so because of the love and care. This is a glimpse into what actively participating in God's hospitality looks like. And as we continue to learn and grow in hospitality as a church, think about how different Coquitlam, the Tri-Cities, or our other local communities represented here could look like when strangers are no longer strangers, but they're welcomed in with God's love and they know that there is space for them, just like there is space for you and just like there is space for me. This is what God invites us into. And I love that as a church family, we do this and we continue to grow in it. And um, I'm gonna invite up Sheila at this time. And if you haven't met Sheila today, then today that ends, because I hope that you do meet her. Um, Sheila and C-Mac were a family that we were able to sponsor a few years back. And she willingly wanted to share part of their story. And I hope that as you listen to her story, you would see the transformation um, of God's hospitality and what he does to our hearts and how it impacts others. All right, go for it, Sheila. Hello, church. Five years ago when I arrived here, I couldn't speak English. But today, I want to read you a short story. I knew a family who were rich in their country, but they had to leave their country and become refugees. They had two children, but now they had nothing to eat. Their house was cold. And they hugged each other to keep warm. The parents decided to sell the man's marriage ring so that they could feed the children. One day, the CA church groups came and brought them to Canada. Now, they are not hungry. They are not cold. They are not longer refugees. But my husband still doesn't have a wedding ring. The church gave us value, gave us love. They do great things in the world and here. Thank you, church. The church means you, be, I. God blessing be with you. Thank you. Good job. has allowed us to step into. And I am so thankful to see Sheila and see Mac 
be an extension of welcome to many in our church community and local community. And I'm also aware that there's some of us that are in the rawness of these stories ourselves. And so I hope today that you would be reminded that you're not a stranger, and we hope that you would find a family here. And with that said, I'd also like to introduce you to somebody else this morning. If you notice our local mission engagement, sometimes we're not able to have as many photos or videos of, of people highlighting, and that's because we're literally journeying life with them. And they're next to us, they're in our local community, and so we wanna give dignity and respect on their journey. But today we get uh, the privilege of meeting this gentleman called Shadan. And so you'll see him in this picture coming up, and he's just in the middle there in that green shirt. And Shadan, there's a reason why, if you're trying to like adjust your glasses or your eyes to like see the picture better, there's a reason why um, there is a limitation to what we can show with you today. And so I'd like to read as to why, and uh, yeah, let's get to know him a bit. So this is directly from Shadan giving us permission to share this this morning. I lived in an immigration detention center for three and a half years. It is a temporary holding place for refugees and is basically a prison. We were not free to leave, nor were others always allowed to visit us. There was a high wall and we could hear the noises of the city, but could see nothing. Foreign visitors, most were from Australia, came and brought us gifts, such as things to read, sometimes snacks, toys for children, and clothes. They did not know us, but came to help us regardless of our religion and our background. Our situation was without hope, but they brought hope. They always prayed for us. When I was finally able to leave the detention center, I wanted to know why these people came from far away to visit us, even though sometimes they were not even allowed to see us. Most, if not all of them, were Christian, and I wanted to know why they would help us. So I began to search for reasons that why they were so different. Once I was released from that detention center, I was able to find a Bible in Farsi and began to study both the Quran and the Bible. I read the Quran all the way through and I read the Bible all the way through. I chose the Bible because it talked about love and the Quran made me feel fearful all the time, but the Bible was full of hope. But I've had to keep all of this a secret from almost all of the other refugees around me. If they found out I have accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior and left Islam, they will consider me a heretic and completely shun me. My mother and siblings are still in my village and will be targeted by their fellow villagers. If it was discovered, I joined the Christian faith. Converting out of Islam is still considered punishable by death in my country. I know all of these risks, but still I have chosen the path of Jesus Christ, my Lord. This is part of Shadan's story and why there's a need to protect his identity, not only for him, but also for his family. You see, Shadan was forced to flee his home country at the age of 17. And for the past 10 years, he has had to endure life in detention centers and refugee camps. And in the midst of these extremely hard circumstances, Shadan found Jesus. And as we heard in his story, it was because of the hospitality and connections with Christians, similar to the work we do when we send teams globally to encourage and support those in vulnerable situations or facing persecution in various ways, 
This is how I love his story clearly reminds us of how God has given, gifted us as a church to partner with him in hospitality, both globally and locally. You see, because of the work done globally by others, we were able to make a connection with Shadan's story and pursue sponsoring him. So here at CA, we've been gifted to uh, do sponsorships since 2015, 2015, right here through our local church community. And I'm very excited to tell you that Shadan will be joining us. He will be arriving to Canadian soil on December 7th. Yeah, that's exciting. And what I'm also very excited to tell you is that we all can be a part of actively participating in God's hospitality as we welcome Shadan in. Nobody's left out. You see, this can practically look like signing up to be part of the greeting crew. If you're like, if you got a good, maybe you want to make a sign or you just want to, um, maybe you got some good uh, vocals and you would just want to chant Shadan as he comes off that flight, we'd love to have you as part of the team that welcomes him in. It could also look like signing up for a refugee settlement team, and this is a team of people that will get to walk alongside Shadan as he settles in Canada. It could also look like hosting him for a meal, taking him out for a coffee, inviting him into an activity you like. What's one of the most like BC things you could do? Maybe introduce him to that. Or teaching him how to drive. He's very excited to learn how to drive. You can also welcome him in by inviting him into your community group checking in on him throughout the week to see how he's adjusting. Would you offer him your friendship? Shadan had shared that when Muslims pray, they often don't pray together. And they don't pray for others unless they've recently died. And so prayers is one of the biggest things that he's so looking forward to, to actually being part of praying with others and having others pray for him. Shadan will also be spending his first Christmas here in Canada outside of a refugee camp, and also for the very first time, he'll be turning 27 on January 1st. All within, all this is happening within the uh, month that he arrives. And so we would love to offer that to you. Are there any ways that you would like to be a part of making Shadan feel like he isn't a stranger, but a part of God's family? As Marty shared at the beginning, we can show hospitality to strangers, not just because they need it, but we need it too, because it's an opportunity for us also to be reminded of who we are. I'm gonna invite the band up at this time, and, and today we've only been able to share just snippets of, of what we're able to do as a church, but the conversation continues. It doesn't just end on Mission Weekend, and we'd love to connect with you as you consider how might God be calling you to expand your life and make space for the stranger. There's some listed items here on that slide, but really pray, serve, give, go. We'd love to see how you'd like to sign up to engage locally and globally or both or one or the other. And any questions you have, there's a table just outside the foyer after the service and somebody on our team would love to connect with you. Thank you for being a church that continues to actively participate in God's hospitality. And I just pray that today you would know that more that God's welcome towards you is deep and you're loved and there is space for you too. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.